Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Football Social Daily. Your daily Premier League podcast. Hello, happy Monday. This is Football Social Daily. Daily Premier League updates in season. But as the football season is taking a little rest before it gets stuck back into things in August... Right now, we are doing an episode every couple of days, keeping up to date with everything that's going on in the Premier League. I'm Jim Salverson. I've got Joel Tudor over there. Morning, guys. Morning, Joel. And Niall McCorn over there. Good morning. And there's a heavy dose of transfer news in today's podcast. Not only are we going to be talking about potential movers and shakers at Everton and Manchester United, but there is big transfer news as well. Two signings getting over the line over the next couple of days. Erling Haaland announced as a Manchester City player today and also at Liverpool it looks like that 85 million pound deal for Darwin Nunes is getting closer it could be announced over the next couple of days plus there's a potential new club for Paul Pogba who is now a free agent as well but we're going to start on today's podcast talking about England oh. who haven't started their we world that is the correct noise I you think that's... started the podcast with happy Monday and it was for about two minutes until you've mentioned that and we got to talk about England the noise you made there I think is probably all we need to really say about England <laughs> at the moment actually because they've started their World Cup warm-up in inauspicious style nil from three in the Nations League at the weekend it was a nil-nil draw with Italy to round off the trio of opening matches, adding that to a 1-1 draw with Germany and a 1-0 loss to Hungary. Now, I asked you this a couple of weeks, well, a week ago, Niall, on the podcast. I said, after the Hungary game, were you worried about the result in terms of England's chances in the World Cup and it being preparation for Qatar in November? What about now? Are you worried now England have not only failed to win any of their three Nations League games, but also failed to score a goal in open play? Um, I think that's the main concern, isn't it? The lack of goal scoring. Mm. And there's players on the pitch that certainly know how to find the back of the net. You know, Harry Kane got himself to 50 goals 
with that penalty equaliser against Germany. But, you know, that's it. That's all England have to show for their efforts in three Nations League games. We said the performance against Hungary was poor. And I remember sitting here a week ago saying, if they played the same way against Germany, I will be concerned. They did for the first half an hour of that game, 40 minutes, but then Mm. they decided that they were actually going to turn it on a little bit. And probably, even though Germany took the lead, they were actually unlucky not to win that game. They had chances at the end. Grealish came on, made a real difference. So I was much more enthused by the performance against Germany. But um, against Italy at the weekend, it was, again, just drab. And I don't know whether that's a product of the environment, of the fact that we've had a long season, 60-odd games for a lot of those players, Um, there's new faces in the squad that really are just trying to get used to playing for the three Lions, or whether it's just a a product of the environment in terms of the Nations League. Is anyone really that bothered? Mm. You know, after a season of so much football, is anyone really that fussed about the Nations It was a bit of both for me on Saturday, because I watched, was it Friday? It was Friday, wasn't it? Friday night. Was it Saturday? Anyway, Saturday night, yeah. This is how much attention I paid for it. (laughs) I I watched it for an hour, um, and then realised after an hour that I'd not absorbed anything that had happened. I couldn't have told you any moment of the game. And I don't know whether it was because the game was dull or whether I just wasn't interested. I couldn't work it out. Well, I actually watched from an hour. Okay. I forgot it was <laughs> on and then turned it on game. and then watched the final half an hour. And I did pick up a few things. I mean, I thought Bowen looked quite bright, but I'm not sure whether that's because he's new to the England setup and really wants to stake a claim mm. to play in the World Cup. I imagine that's probably what it is. Um, I thought that Fikayo Tomori um, was an interesting um, uh, addition to the starting eleven because I thought he played in a more Italian way, as you'd expect, being an AC Milan yeah. player. And actually, every time he got the ball and there was pressure on him, he'd turn around and go straight back to Ramsdale. Ramsdale was the starting goalkeeper. And there were times where, because of the style of play that he plays with Arsenal, he was wanting Fikayo Tomori to come close to him and play the short passes along the ground. And Tomori was saying, no, thanks, I don't want any of that. And the ball would then go long. So I think that actually in terms of England's style of play, it is an amalgamation of different styles. And I did think that a little bit when I was watching some of the other games. You know, you've got players like Stones um, and Sterling, who play for Manchester City, who play in a certain way. And then you've got players like Tomori and, and this season Maguire, who probably don't really in the case of Maguire, don't really know what their style of play is right now, you know, in terms of the transition at United that Maguire's going through. You know, Pickford and Ramsdale, both good with their feet, Pickford a better passer, but Ramsdale is very much a passer out from the back because that's how Arsenal like to do it. Whereas I'm sure with Everton, Pickford's probably launching long balls a little bit more with accuracy, but he's probably doing it a little bit more. So in terms of actually what I saw from England, there are a few moments where I thought, hmm, this is a bit of a a hodgepodge of, of styles and players and it's almost like back in the old FIFA days where you you know you construct a dream team yeah. and yet the chemistry would be like 20 out of 100 there's um, a, it feels a bit like that at times there's a Dutch football practitioner and I completely forget his name and I could look around on Google and find it but I won't I'll just tell you what he thinks his belief is that when international teams are being picked players shouldn't be picked on ability they should be picked in kind of groups depending on who they play their club football for mm-hmm. so you'd have your centre-back, your left-back, your left midfielder would all be from one club. Your right-back, your right midfielder, your right centre-back would be from another club. And you build a team like that less so. I mean, obviously, there will be exceptions to that because you don't necessarily have those sections playing with mm-hmm. each other at clubs all from the same country. Or you might have an outstanding player who comes in from a lower league team. But that's roughly how you pick a team because that enables you to play the football in the way they used to be 
yeah. drilled and played on a club basis. I mean, it's hard to know, really, with, with what's going on. I mean, in terms of am I worried, um, Italy are the European champions. I mean, drew nil-nil. Germany are always a difficult side, and we drew 1-1. I mean, if those were two tournament results, I don't think anyone would be too no. bothered. Um, losing to Hungary, obviously, makes that a worse trio of results. I think it's only the third time, or the second time in Gareth Southgate's England managerial career that England have failed to win in three games consecutively. So, I mean, usually we're pretty good at winning yeah, these yeah. sorts of games and it, it hasn't been the case. There's another international break in September. So I think that will probably give us a greater indication of what things are going to look like for the World Cup. I think it's mid-September the 19th to the 27th is the next international break after this one. So that will probably give us a greater idea. That's early on in the season. And then October, November is squads being selected, ready for the World Cup in November, December. So, yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of a concern, but... Uh, for me, it's just a case of it's a long season. A lot of the players looked a little bit tired. Um, I think a lot of the enthusiasm around the Nations League is kind of sapped away. If there was any in the first place, it's definitely gone now. And yeah, it's probably just, just the long and short of it, really. Still more Nations League games to come as well. So, as we've said, no goals in open play, Joel. The one penalty scored by Harry Kane. And Southgate made some interesting comments about the other players in the team, lifting the burden on Harry Kane. I think Harry Kane's got 50 goals internationally. Every other member of the starting 11 versus Italy had 49 between them. So you can kind of see the emphasis that is put on Harry Kane and his goal scoring. Most of those were probably Sterling as well. Yeah, probably. Is it fair for Southgate to criticise the other players for not scoring when he's playing a style of football that doesn't necessarily lead to other players getting forward and scoring goals? I think Southgate has... A, the thing that really annoys me about him, he has a bit of an inferiority complex where even though he's probably got one of the most talented England squads of like a generation, he still feels as though he has to go conservative every single time, no matter who he plays. I know he has a system which is this three at the back and obviously it's worked in the last couple of tournaments. But I'm starting to see that this is where the luck's going to start to run out a little bit. And that's when you look at who England have actually faced in those World Cups. And obviously, it's hard to win a World Cup in a Euros game, regardless of who you play. But every single time they've come up against the quality side, they've been undone every single time. And even when you just look at the Italy game uh, at the weekend, even though I don't look too much into these nation league games because I was looking into the German press and they were starting to have questions about Germany drawing three games in a row, even mm. though they've got a really talented squad as well. I think all the players are just so mentally done and having to do four games, was it three or four games after a long, a really long season during like COVID in December, I think they're just done with it. Like football, they all need a break. Um, And I'm just worried about the quality in Qatar because it's going to be midway through the winter of England, then going to 30, 40 degrees in Qatar and having to acclimatise. I just don't really see it being a tournament where it's going to be massive quality. But players should be at the peak of their physical, I mean, injuries aside, mm. having played two-thirds of a season, players should be at their peak at that point. So we should technically see a better quality of football in a World Cup in the December than we would in the summer when players are probably on the, the downward curve. You think, but I know that they're congesting a lot of fixtures prior to the actual tournament itself, aren't they? I think they've got like five games in September, then they've got six games in November just to try and yeah. backdate everything. So it's hard to it's hard to tell how they're going to adapt to having to 
basically switch up a routine that they've done for the last 20 years, pretty mm. much. Um, so it will be interesting, but I just think Southgate is so inundated with the amount of talent that he's got that he doesn't know his best team for the last three years, to be honest, especially the forward line. He just keeps, he seems to keep tinkering with it when a game doesn't go well, but he always relies on Kane and Sterling, but then he doesn't... For me, I think Grealish has to start alongside Kane, to be honest, because every time I've seen Grealish next to him, he just seems to bring a different dimension to the attack, which unlocks defences, whereas when he brings any other attacker into it, even like Foden, for example, or even where Sterling, when he plays, it just seems so one-dimensional. Every time in the Euros when Grealish played, everyone got up on their feet because they knew that he had the killer pass to change the game, basically. And then Southgate has the cheek to say he doesn't understand like the tactics of how he wants yeah. him to play. I said it that makes last no week. sense to me. Basically, for Guardiola. Yeah. Basically what he means being is... Being reprogrammed Guardiola at the moment though, isn't he? <laughs> He's not quite there yet. I think what Southgate was trying to say without saying it was he doesn't track back. And, He's a bit lazy. and I said this last week, Southgate is a defender and likes the defensive side of the game and wants his wingers to track back. And someone like Saka will probably do that. Sterling will do that to an extent, but Grealish doesn't really do that. But I think what Grealish offers offensively is better than the fact that he doesn't track back. He's I think unique. He's, he's, exactly, unique. he's the most exciting player that England have had in these last three games. Him and Bowen, for me, actually. Mm. I think Bowen looked quite lively. It was only when he, you know, Bowen and he got the ball that I was thinking, oh, OK, something might happen here. But like you say, you know, Southgate's got the cheek to say Grealish needs to be improving tactically. Um I think basically he's just dressing that up in a way to say, oh, if Grealish tracks back, he'll get in the team. Yeah, yeah. But I think what Grealish offers going forward is enough to kind of counteract the fact that he doesn't track back. So that would be my I think take. you've always got to give license to one of the best creative players in your team. It's kind of, I'm not comparing him to like Ronaldo, but when you have a game-changer player, I think you have to give him a little license to, mm. do, like, you know, to roam around a little bit. Because every time he played Saka in the Euros or... Uh, Sterling in the Euros he always had to switch it up because there was just no cutting edge to the attack it's a balance isn't it yeah, it's like yeah. does your player give you enough in this department to sacrifice what you want them to do in this department mm. and it has to be worked out with that kind of algorithm I guess what about your pair from Manchester United who haven't featured recently Jaden Sancho Marcus Rashford left out of this squad and there were some other comments from Gareth Southgate saying we were talking about all United players who hadn't made it. So he was including Luke Shaw in the statement as well. Obviously, Luke Shaw's been injured, so it's a slightly different scenario. But he was saying that if Rashford and Sancho want to be on the plane to Qatar, they need to work hard to get there. It wasn't that long ago where these guys were the bright future of England's attacking line, and now they find themselves very much on the sidelines. Are they good enough for England at the moment, or is it just kind of a, a symptom of Manchester United's really bad I was going to say season, but three seasons, I guess they've had the, the players that should be shining lights are just kind of marginalised now. Well, even when Sancho was at Dortmund and he was one of the best young European players, Southgate still didn't give him a look in regardless. So for me, I don't think Sancho has got a chance. He probably has more of a chance than Rashford because Rashford's reputation right now on the pitch is on a shoestring in terms of what what is next for him. Mm. He either goes bust or hero I don't think there's an in-between for him because if he has another season like he's just had United can't keep a player on like that he was absolutely dreadful last season and that's like probably an understatement but for them to to kind of have two months to undo the work that for example Jared Bowen's done over a last season 
or Phil Foden or any of these attackers that they've got to contend with mm. is unjustified. I think they're going to have more games to obviously prove it because, like I said, there was a big congestion in September, November and October. But they're going to have to play basically how they were in the two seasons previously where they were scoring every week. They were working their heads off every week. And for me, there's just more deserving players ahead of them. So I don't know how Ten Hag is going to, you know, adapt to the Premier League, how we're going to start the Premier League. It might be a really slow start, yeah. judging from the signings that we've literally not made. Um, so I, ideally, if they can rediscover their form very quickly, which I very highly doubt, then they will have a shot 100% because... Like everyone is looking at them right now, but they are two of the most two of the most talented England players by an absolute mile in terms of game changing ability. Um, just got to prove they, it, yeah. And they're just off the yeah. back of the worst Manchester United season in maybe twenty five years. But yeah, you got to have a bit of perspective. I don't, I don't see them getting into it in two months. There's only six months to go until the World Cup, but between the end of July and Christmas. They've got Charity Shield, they won't play in that. But there's 16 Premier League games, six European group games, two September international friendlies, presuming they get in the squad, and then it's the whole World Cup. So they've got enough time mm. to prove it. But they've you know, got they to perform might... at, like, yeah, if a player who's in form has to perform seven out of ten to maintain an England place, then a player who's out of form and out of the squad has to perform at nine out of ten to yeah. get the England place, don't they? But if Rashford starts the season um, and scores five goals in eight games and looks really good again people will be saying <laughs> it's a hell of an if fella yeah, yeah I know <laughs> yeah. but it's the same as you know Harry Kane doesn't score goals in August as no. the old statistic goes you know the August starts the season starts in early August this year mm. 6th of August I think so you know are we saying Harry Kane doesn't score for the whole of August he's not going to the World Cup that's nonsense I think, I of course think... he's going so I mean it's like I think there is enough time between the start of the season and Obviously, you've got those September internationals, the final internationals before the World Cup, and then probably October, November. I think that that two-month period is enough time for a player to prove that they're worthy. And I think if Rashford is on absolute fire, I'm not mm. saying this is going to happen, but let's just say he scores eight goals in 10 games or, you know, what was I was going to say, 16 games before Christmas in the Premier League. Let's say he scores 10 goals in those 16 games, a couple of assists, looks like the old Rashford. You take him to the World Cup. Yeah, you just would. So you know, it's hard. It's hard to know at this point. I I, I know what you're saying, Joel, because we're like six months out, or not even that, from the World Cup, and it just almost looks like there's no light at the end of the tunnel for him in terms of going to the World Cup. And I'd probably agree with that. I think it probably is a bridge too far for him at this point in time. But that's not to say that that couldn't change. Like the start of next season, Jared Bowen might, you know, have paper mache in his boots and forget how to play football. <laughs> you know, it's just one of those. You, you just, it's hard to predict. It really yeah. is. You've started making me worried about the prospect of Harry Kane getting injured before the World Cup now as well. Oh, I see. It's not a prospect. It's a it's probability. Over, it's, yeah, 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 very true. <laughs> but he isn't the only big name there. But he isn't the only big name striker who'll be playing his trade in the Premier League next season. Erling Haaland has been confirmed by Manchester City. Eight thousand and thirty-five days after his dad first sign for Manchester City and also there is another big name striker potentially coming to the Premier League soon as Liverpool look to spend £85 million on Darwin Nunes we'll talk about that transfer next on Football Social Daily Football Social Daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Getting stuck into the transfer news. The window's open. Stuff's starting to happen. Erling Haaland has been confirmed by Manchester City today. And Darwin Nunes from Benfica to Liverpool. £75 million. Pounds, sorry, €75 million. Euros. That is 65 million quid ish, potential to rise to 85 million quid ish with add ons there. We've talked a lot about Erling Haaland, so I want to start off talking about Darwin Nunes. And I think probably the big thing to come off this signing is people pulling up that newspaper headline from a couple of years back of Jurgen Klopp saying, when Manchester United signed Paul Pogba, he said, 100 million pounds for a player. The day we start spending £100 million on a player is the day I'm out of football or something along those lines. We're up to £85 million, so he's not for, far off quitting his job at Liverpool. Do you think it's fair to kind of drag those statements out again, Niall, that Klopp was very dismissive of playing large amounts on football players and now he's dipping into his pocket again to buy a player after breaking records with Virgil van Dijk as the world's most expensive centre-back and Alisson as yep. the world's most expensive goalkeeper? I tell you what annoys me is when people say Jurgen Klopp's never got a transfer wrong. He's got loads wrong. I mean, Nat Phillips, who was that guy they bought from Preston as well? That was a that was a disaster. Cater was fifty five million. It's not like Mina Mona, whatever his name is. Well, yeah, it's kind of a in and out. I don't know whether he was at the club when Lazar Markovic was signed. There's been a, there was a few around that time, twenty fifteen. Maybe I'm, I've got my dates wrong. Liverpool fans will know better than me. But it is a little bit annoying. You know, Jurgen Klopp never gets a transfer wrong. I mean, Van Dyke was a great signing. Alisson was a great signing. Um, but the market has changed since those two players were signed. It has got more expensive. Um, I always think you need to be careful what you say in press conferences because people will dredge these things up and they will come back to haunt you. Um, I don't think, by the way, if Liverpool ever did spend 100 million quid, Jurgen Klopp would go, right, that's it, I'm done. <laughs> See I'm you later. <laughs> yeah, I'm off. See ya. So um, it, is, it is one of those sort of... Um, tongue-in-cheek comments, I think, maybe from Jurgen Klopp. It's a bit of a punt, 85 million quid potentially, isn't it? Because we talked about Nunes having talent and having potential, and he's done it in the Portuguese League, he's done it in the Champions League. He has everything you'd assume that a striker needs to succeed in the Premier League. But then you compare it with the Haaland transfer, and it's 10 million quid extra-ish now, potentially 30 million quid more, and the wages are going to be less. Yeah, but it feels like a lot of money for an unproven product. Yeah, I mean, I'd say Haaland was a better player, and i challenge anyone to argue that that wasn't true. And I think City have got the better deal. And Mm. obviously City had the leverage of his dad playing for Manchester City, him having attended City games, being one of the best clubs in Europe. I think that all of those things add up when you're trying to attract a player like Erling Haaland. But for Darwin Nunez, I think... What you need to look at here is he's 22, so much like Haaland, he's got age on his side. He's a player who can play centrally, but also off the left. Um, obviously, Origi's left the club. Mane looks like he's going to be leaving the club as well. So they've they've kind of killed two birds with one stone, so to so to speak. I think probably Luis Diaz will play off the left for them. But you know, Nunez is someone who's mobile. He's powerful. He can finish. The one weakness in his game is his short passing. If you look at the statistics, he's not particularly good at. at 
at passing the ball. And in a Jurgen Klopp side, you need to be quite good at yeah. passing the ball. So hopefully those um, sort of deficiencies in his game are ironed out by Liverpool um, and he can go on to perform. I think he's a good striker. He could prove to be one of the best in the league. I really do think he's he's that good. He's got that potential. But it's hard It's hard to know. You know, Liverpool have got it right with Alisson. They've got it right with Van Dijk. They've got it right with, I think, Canate's looking like a good signing as well. I think they paid, what, £40 million for him? Yeah. He's looking like a good player. I mean, Robertson was £8 million. Trent Alexander-Arnold, an academy player. Thiago. Um, Thiago. So, you know, actually the signings they make are very astute. I mean, Luis Diaz being the most recent yeah. example has been absolutely superb. Diogo Jota before that, they fit in absolutely perfectly. So I understand the narrative that Jurgen Klopp never gets transfers wrong. I don't think it's necessarily true. But you have to be careful because when you do spend that sort of money, you almost need your players to perform because then it becomes a stick to beat the club with. Mm. As we've seen at Manchester United over the years, they paid X million pounds for this player and he's been rubbish. You know, the player doesn't set the price tag, but it certainly has an impact and a, and a pressure onto them. So whether Nunez is worth 85 million euro or whatever it is, is, is you know, not for me to say. But I do think he's a good player and I do think that he is someone who who can make an impact, and I think Diaz, Jota, Salah, Nunez is a really exciting forward line. I'm going to give you 85 million quid, Joel, and you can spend it. All right, thanks. On mate. A, a, new, a new striker <laughs> at Manchester United. Is this the player you would have gone after with that budget? Not in United situation. Um, I think Liverpool can afford to risk this kind of transfer because the rest of the team is set. They needed this kind of void to be filled, whereas. I wouldn't be comfortable with United paying 85 million for a strike when we need every other area on the pitch to be filled, probably as more of a priority. Um, but this is the way the transfer market is at the moment. You're paying for potential, but you, you're not paying with a resale value. They've already basically paid his resale value. It's almost like an all-in-one, isn't it, where you're literally buying the full package before he's even reached his peak. Mm. Um, as we've seen, for example, with Real Madrid and Schuermeni, he's only had to probably two seasons at Monaco and you know that's another 100 million euro transfer you can't really I think the days are gone where you can find a a very good player in Portugal and Spain who's just broken out and getting for a good 30 million you have to pay the fee that the resale value would be it's almost like an insurance to the club who's selling it but for me I'm just very interested in seeing how Liverpool now adapt to having a bit more of a target man because in the last four years it's basically been kind of a false nine with Firmino who's amazing technically like he could be a, a number 10 he's that good on the ball but then we, if we've seen Jurgen Klopp at Dortmund he had Robert Lewandowski for a good four seasons again Robert Lewandowski incredible technically he could play a number 10 he's that good so it's like uh, Niall was saying I'm just very interested because he's not like the most dr- incredible technically in terms of dribbling ability or link up play he's very much a guy who's a top top finisher and he's a fox in the box so I'm, 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 I'm wondering if Klopp's going to start to adapt the play for a, a, a targeted man because he's not done it for a long time now. But for 85 million, it is a punt because I know everyone keeps saying Jurgen Klopp not got a, a transfer wrong. This is Julian Ward's, I think, second signing as the new sporting director at Liverpool now, and I think he's got a massive point to prove. And I just think it's, it is risky, massively risky, but. Under Klopp, I'd be more confident for him than if he came to United. Okay. Just because, you know, I think they play a way better style than we do at the moment. I don't even know what style we have. 
So what? I think it is interesting. It will be interesting. What about Haaland then? Niles had his say. Thinks they've got the better deal if this United, if this Liverpool deal does go over the line. Do you think he's going to be an instant hit at Manchester City? Everyone's expecting 20-plus goals, I think, from Haaland this season coming. But when you look at traditionally players integrating into Pep Guardiola's Manchester City side, it tends to be pretty slow. I mean, just look at Grealish or Mares, for example. Yeah. They both kind of had a season to adapt and then hit the ground running. So are we going to see something instant from Haaland? Are we going to see him looking grumpy on the bench for the first six games and coming on as a sub and slowly kind of easing into this Pep Guardiola team? I mean, I think me and Niall would get at least five each in that Guardiola side, even <laughs> if we were just getting plonked on the pitch because yeah, they create so on many Just six-yard line and just Literally. hope one comes my way. But I think because, especially in the Bundesliga, coming over from the Bundesliga to... Guardiola's setup where he's just tactically, he sounds to me like he's just an absolute boffin in terms of the way he sets his sides up and how every single player has their own individual task. I think Grealish even mentioned it in an interview where it was like a fishing out of water in terms of, you know, learning all these different concepts of what he has to do off the ball rather than just on the ball. And I think he even mentioned how he was scared to dribble with it because he didn't want to lose the ball and get that backlash off Guardiola. So, I think for him, it's the same situation as Liverpool. They haven't really played with a target man. And Haaland is a big target man in the middle. Not the greatest technically, but he's an absolutely deadly finisher. So again, it's going to be really interesting to see how he adapts to a side who are very, you know, one-touch passing, um, very much, you know, a team that doesn't like to risk too much in possession. But for a guy coming over from the Bundesliga, I think every single player I've seen trying to think of a Bundesliga player that's hit the ground running I can't think of one that literally maybe Thiago but he's he's a bit different because he grew up in Barcelona Mm. but in terms of like a top top player who's come from the Bundesliga it always takes them so long and I think it's just because they have so much time in the Bundesliga and they have so much space but Dortmund having a a style of play where he can run in behind a little bit more whereas City going to be pinning them back so it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see again how he adapts to that side but Mm. he'll get 10 regardless yeah. because he'll be fine it. he'll be fine and I think the thing is is Joel's right talking about adapting it's um, defenders for me in the Premier League you're coming up against better defenders mm. than you are in the Bundesliga and I think that that's that's a fact you're coming up against Van Dijk Matip has been exceptional the last 18 months um, you know Canate is a good defender at Liverpool and they're, they're just the Liverpool defenders obviously Rudiger's just left Chelsea but yeah, you know, he's he's been a top defender as well. Thiago Silva's still very good. Um, you've got some really good defenders in the Premier League um, across multiple different clubs, and I think that will be the interesting battle for me. How does Haaland get the better of those defenders? Uh, I mean, how are teams going to set up against City? Will it be different now that they've got Haaland? Will they be man marking him um, because he's got pace, he's got strength, uh, he's got nous, he knows where the ball's going to land, he's got great perception. So I think that's really interesting. I mean, they're just going to try and man Mark Harland out of the game. It's, it's it's almost hard to tell. I think what will be the key is this charity shield game on the 30th of July. If if he starts in this community shield match, that will be many of us our first chance to probably watch Erling yeah. Harland in a competitive game against English opposition. So I think that I'm probably as excited for that as many Man City fans just to see exactly how he gets on. I mean, Liverpool versus... Manchester City is always a good game. It's for silverware. First game of the season, technically the curtain raiser. Um, 
we could see Nunez and Haaland both on the pitch at the same time, which would be great. I think it's exciting seeing Erling Haaland in the Premier League. We don't quite know what we're going to get yet, but all the potential is there for him to be the world's best player. Who and scores more, the... Nunez or Haaland next Haaland. season? Haaland. Yeah, yeah. I think so, for all the reasons we've just said. But absolute class from City as well, by the way. If you've not checked out their social media announcement of Erling Haaland joining Manchester City... They've done it in the style, so you might remember a few weeks ago the picture of Haaland as a teenager sitting on his sofa in a Manchester City shirt. Like, like six foot seven. Yeah, <laughs> with it was like a ball at his feet, and he was like sitting on his sofa back in the, I don't know, it would have been nineties when his dad was playing for City. They've recreated that photo for the official announcement, and they've even got to the cushions on the sofa. Being they even the have same. the little bucket with the water. Yeah, <laughs> it's really good. Go and check it out. Even if you're not a City fan, you can't fail to be entertained by that. We're going to keep the focus on transfers next, but some that may happen rather than are going to happen involving moves at both Manchester United and Spurs and Everton. We'll talk about it next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives. But those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. We're going to talk transfers, wrap up today's podcast with a few of the rumours. The window's open, stuff is beginning to happen. It feels like there's going to be a domino effect going on. If Lukaku leaves Chelsea, that's going to spark off a few other moves here and there. There's no news on that yet, but there is news on the potential future of Christian Eriksen. That's where we're going to start. Story in the Express today saying he's made his decision. He's not going to stay with Brentford I don't think anyone really thought he was going to stay with Brentford. He wants a new challenge and that challenge could potentially be back at Tottenham Hotspurs or be at Manchester United who have expressed an interest in signing him. I'm a little bit surprised that the top four teams are sniffing around Christian Eriksen, not just because of the health issues he's had, but because of how his time in Italy went, which I don't think potentially went as well as people expected. Are you surprised? I'm, I'm being very generous there and classing Manchester United in the top four discussion, aren't I, Joel? <laughs> but oh, are you on. surprised that teams like United and Spurs are looking at Ericsson? Because I'd have it a little bit below that. I'd probably have teams like mine, like West Ham, looking at Ericsson. I it think he's like going to go to West Ham, Jim. Do you? I, I heard, really I do. I haven't heard any kind of rumours to suggest that. I don't know why. I've just got a little feeling he could go there. Sorry, it feel, Joel. It feels like on. a West Ham signing. Um... I think what we have to remember is if he didn't have this heart problem, he would still be into Milan because Serie A don't allow for defibrillators mm. when you're on the pitch. True. Yeah. So now that he's at Brentford, I think everyone's got this kind of like false image of him being a lesser player because he plays for Brentford. But actually, 
he's still at the quality of play for and a also because he basically died I think that that's probably part to do with it but as I mean, well. <laughs> but I mean, he did if die he's... for about 10 minutes on the pitch <laughs> true but I mean, because he's got clearance to play, there's nothing wrong with like That's true. he has clearance yeah, to play. He's, he's probably had the top medical professionals. They're not going to let a guy play in the Premier League if they think something's going to happen, because that would ruin the image of the league if they let that happen. So I think, and I am, I agree with you. I'm surprised that more top four clubs aren't in for him because even if he doesn't start, he'd be such a good squad player. I would take him at United tomorrow as a, a really shrewd free signing because that's the kind of free signing that the likes of Juventus would make back in the day where every one of their free signings would just go on to this like stratospheric kind of rise sorry with Pogba Kadira uh, Kadira this oh my god there's so many I can't even name them they were just they they know how to do a free transfer and this is the kind of one where he has so much quality uh technical ability he could play as a, a number eight and number ten probably play as like a inside forward if you really wanted him to he's just got so much quality so I think everyone's perception of him has been massively skewed purely because he plays for Brentford um, and that's why I think he's taken a lot of time to wait on some options because he knows he's better than Brentford all due respect to Brentford you know they're the only team that actually took a punt on him which you gotta mm. give credit for because like I said he was clear to play in the Premier League yet they were the only side who were willing to give him a chance um, so it would be nice to see him stay there, but I think he's better than that. The rules in Italy about defibrillators, by the way, because I looked into this and I wanted to know why they were allowed in the Premier League and not in Syria or La Liga. And it's not to do with the Premier League being lax or relaxed. It's to do with much more conservative and outdated rules in the other European leagues and players not being considered to be fit for elite sport if they have pacemakers, yeah. rather than the Premier League going, eh, whatever, <laughs> you can play yeah, for us, yeah. don't worry about it. Uh, let's turn our attention to Manchester United, Niall, and they are set to sign Brazilian winger Anthony from Ajax and Frankie de Jong from Barca this yeah. week. That's according to Talk Sport, so make of that what you will. <laughs> Although the type of players that Manchester United should be looking at here, I, I'm not familiar with Anthony at all. I know Frankie de Jong, obviously that room has been linked to Manchester United for a while now but as for the the Brazilian player I don't know a great deal about him but do they feel like the like positive moves in the market for United? Well obviously the Eric Ten Hag factor means that there are going to be Ajax players linked I mean first it was Jurian Timber and now it's Frankie de Jong and now it's Anthony I think of the three I think Frankie de Jong would be the better and the most exciting signing I don't think there's any doubt about that as for Anthony I have spoken to a few people around Manchester United, not at the club specifically, but people that um, are big United fans are in touch with the club and some people as well who kind of have their ear to the ground. And I've spoken to some people who have watched Anthony and have told me that he's not very good. (laughs) So um, I'm not one to sit here and say that whether that's true or false, because I'll be honest, I've never watched him play. No idea if he's any good or not. I will trust the words of the person that I spoke to, though, who says that he's not very good. And actually, when this person watched Ajax, there were several other players that stood out a lot more than him. Um, But actually, I've heard sort of a few grapevine rumours that Anthony has been linked for a while. What's interesting is that he's a forward player. I'm pretty sure he's a right winger, actually. Um, Do Manchester United need any right wingers? That was one of my thoughts. There, There seemed to be overloaded in that area. There's other positions that you'd think they'd need yeah, to get mid. sorted first. I think Desperately. because Greenwood's not there anymore, 
they have to fill that void big time now. Has Martial left now? No, he's he's he's, he's, he's alone, mean, you isn't would he? Think it. <laughs> well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think we could see Martial back. I think we could see Martial back. Technically, Martial's a very good player, like with the ball at his feet and stuff. And would that suit Ten Hag? Um, I guess so, because in European games, Ten Hag tends to play with a false nine, which mm. I think Martial works better at rather than an out-and-out number nine in which he uses Sebastian Allaire, which he uses for league games. Um, whether that will change his philosophy when he comes to the Premier League, I don't know. But I think Frankie Jong's a more exciting signing, and I think Manchester United are looking at bringing him in. Um, I think that's one that's probably more likely to happen. If Anthony comes in, I will temper my um, excitement if I was a Manchester United fan, just from what the rumours I've heard. I could be completely proved wrong, and this person could be talking absolute nonsense that I've spoken to, but from what I've heard, he's, he's probably not quite the right fit for, for Manchester United but if Ten Hag wants him the club are obliged to go out and get him because there's been too many times at Manchester United over the years where a manager has wanted a player and for whatever reason which we won't go into now the board or whoever's in charge of transfers at the time has said no you can't have him mm. and I just don't think that's healthy and there were a few people doing that as well when Steve McLaren was originally touted as joining the rejoining the club as an assistant to Ten Hag and people were saying well why would we want Steve McLaren back blah 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 if Ten Hag wants someone go and get them there's been too much of this barrier put in the way between manager and board at Manchester United over the years. If you want the club to be built in a certain way with a certain culture and structure, you need to let the manager have full autonomy. And if you want someone, go and get them, regardless of of what you know yeah. people think. Manchester United can't afford to put barriers in the way of their not right now. No positions. If they want a proper reset, then they're going to need to give Ten Hag full control. It might not be easy for them because they've done it in a certain way since Sir Alex Ferguson retired, but I think that that's what they need. So if Anthony's on Ten Hag's wish list, then go and get him. Um, I do think what's interesting is they do need a central midfield player, so I would be, if I was a Manchester United fan, more inclined to welcome the Frankie de Jong signing. I think the midfield needs massive strengthening. Um, Ruben Neves at Wolves is a player who's also kind of rumoured as can and consistently linked with Manchester United. I've read reports this week, actually over the weekend, that Wolves are interested in bringing a central midfield player in, another Portuguese player. Whether that is as a sort of pseudo-replacement mm. for Ruben Neves, I don't know. Or whether they're trying to bring him in as foil to Neves, I don't know. Um, that, to me, suggests that they're expecting him to move on. And the noises we've heard from Wolverhampton Wanderers, including, I think, their sporting director said, listen, Ruben's been great for us, but we understand that you know a player of that quality at his age is going to be attracting eyes elsewhere and I think that he will be moving on whether that's to Barcelona to fill the Frankie de Jong void or to go to Manchester United and join Frankie de Jong I think it's really interesting so for me the two midfield players Neves at Wolves and Frankie de Jong are the two most exciting signings if they come off for Manchester United as for Anthony I don't know much about him but from who I've spoken to and what I've heard it's probably not going to be the most exciting. But, he, you know, he might come in and, and be a, be absolutely lightning or he might come in and be terrible. I mean, it's a bit of an unknown, really. Coming from the Dutch league to the Premier League is difficult. Staying with Manchester United for the time being and the man who has left that void in midfield, Paul Pogba, obviously left the club on a free transfer now, according to Fabrizio Romano, who's rarely wrong on these things. Juventus are very confident of signing the midfielder on a free transfer Firstly, Joel, are you pleased that the Paul Pogba saga for Manchester United has come to an end, that he isn't going to be the subject of every podcast we do from now on and the club can move on from what has been, I won't call it a disastrous transfer, but one that certainly has not worked out? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still quite ridiculous. Like, it's, 
ridiculous how they had to let him go for a free again. It's just it just shows how badly run the club has been for the last ten years. How you can let him go twice for free, but I think with Paul Pogba going back to Juventus, I think it just shows his stature at the moment now and how his career's really gone. Because I think last year, me and Ariola and Pogba were probably banking on the likes of Barcelona, Real Madrid, PSG, basically the whole European front to be chasing his signature. And for him to be going back to Juventus, who right now are probably the third best team in Italy, I think it kind of shows just what he is at the moment, which is a player who isn't as desired anymore. Um, maybe two or three years ago, which was probably the right time to leave, he would have had the pick of the bunch mm. where he would have gone straight into a Barcelona team or a Real Madrid team or a Bayern Munich team. Now, he probably wouldn't get into the Real Madrid team. Uh, well, Barcelona can't afford him. And again, with Bayern, I don't think he would get into that team. So it just shows right now he isn't that player that we signed, which was the one where every single European club would have taken him in a heartbeat. Um, I am. I think it's necessary... I don't think it would have worked under Ten Hag Pogba just because of his work rate, the fact that he's not as efficient on the ball as probably a, a, the likes of Frankie de Jong would be, who is, I mean, he he is the dream signing for me. He's in the same ilk as Marco Verratti or Nico Barella, who is just a game changer in midfield. And Pogba isn't. He's a luxury player who needs other players to bring him out of his shell, as it was at Juventus where he had Marquisio, Arturo Vidal, um, Perlo, they were guys who were way older than him, yep. had all control in midfield and were like, Pogba, go, go and stroke your creative, stuff. Yeah, yeah, go do your stuff. Step overs, shots will cover for you. At United, he had Fred, McTominay. He had to do both jobs and he couldn't do it because he's a luxury player. Do I think it's weird? We think of Paul Pogba, have done in the last few years, as like this holding midfield player almost. He's not a cent- he's not a holding midfield he player, was. is he? He never was. In in the event of side under Conte, he played in that three man midfield advanced where Marquisio and uh, Perlo or Vidal would tuck inside. At United, he was almost like a, a two man midfield where he was yeah. like an anchor and it just didn't benefit mm. his strength. So And then they play him off the Juventus. left wing. Sometimes he'd play in a ten. And that's where I do feel sorry for him. I think he was underutilised, but it was just the worst period that he could have joined United. But I think at Juventus, he'll, he'll come into his own again because the, the, the Italian league suits his strengths to an absolute T. But this is where his career's gone. Back to Italy, I don't think he would have ever saw that coming, to be honest. Do you think it's the right move for him, Niall? Because there is the Juventus move. That looks like the smart money. He's played in the league before. He's done well in the league before. The slight wild card which could be played is Mauricio Pochettino leaving PSG. I've heard that if Zidane gets that PSG job and he is interested, then Pogba could follow him He would there. never be able to show his face in Marseille ever again. Though. That's the only <laughs> issue. <laughs> but, I mean, you can see how that might be appealing for a French international to go and play for PSG under Zidane. But would he be in a similar situation there that he was at Manchester United in terms of a team that didn't necessarily play to his strengths, in terms of just being kind of like having all the attention on him, which which felt like it was a distraction yeah. at United to a He'd be class extent. in the French League, okay. Jim. He'd be class. I mean, he's from Paris. I think he grew up in the suburbs of eastern Paris. So it would be almost like a homecoming for him. I'm not sure who he supported as a boy. I, I mean, to be honest, PSG, their rise really has only been in the last 10 or 12 years. When I was younger, the only thing that PSG were famous for was being the club that Ronaldinho played for before mm. he joined Barcelona. And that's it. And that's no disrespect to any Parisians listening in terms of if you're a PSG fan listening to this podcast. I just think it's fair to suggest that much like Manchester City, you know, with PSG, since the Qatari money's come in, that is when their 
relevance and notoriety has, has skyrocketed. Well, the, so, the difference is that PSG are a club that are only nine years older than me. <laughs> they're, like, they're still also a relatively newly established club. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think he'd be brilliant. And and you talk about the spotlight. I think Joel's spot on with what he says. When Paul Pogba rejoined Manchester United, who were the superstars in that United squad? It was Rooney. That was about it. Mm. He was he was the only one, and he was coming to the end. And I think he might have joined Everton shortly after that period when Paul Pogba came back in. So you're talking about. Pogba really being the £89 million superstar, shining light, spotlight. He was the focal point of the team. He was the the main man, the the MVP, really, to use an American term. If he goes to PSG, it's a team of MVPs. Mbappe's just signed a new deal after mugging off Real Madrid, and he is the main man. Neymar, one of the best players in the world, he is the main man. Leo Messi is in that team. Pogba is not going to be the main front and centre guy at PSG. But he also so won't I think have the option to play in his preferred position then, will he? Because if you've got that front three, he's not going to play in a... He won't play off the left, offensive. but he, he might be able to play in a in a central midfield mm. three, as Joel says, in one of those more advanced positions, a bit like what Liverpool do when they have sort of one holder and two advanced or two holding and one advanced, depending on how the manager wants to play it. If it is Zidane, I'm not sure what he played at Real Madrid when he won those Champions Leagues or whether it was a 4-3-3 or what system, but Paul Pogba is good enough to fit into most systems I think going to PSG, he would, he would be top. I think he'd be yeah. fine. And much like Joel says, going to Juventus, he knows the club. He knows the city of Torino. He knows um, what it means to play in Serie A. So I think he'll be fine wherever I he goes. I think the biggest point, he's loved there. And yeah. at United, as he said in his interview just after he left, I need to go to a place that shows me love. I think it was indirect at the fact that right. no one appreciated But him. what's interesting is both of those clubs are absolutely desperate to win the Champions League. Mm. PSG are desperate to mm. win the Champions League. They've been chucking money at it left, right and centre. They've got Neymar and Messi, two of the best forward players on the planet. They've got Mbappe. Well, They've got three of the best forward players on the planet. They've got one of the best goalkeepers on the planet. They've got Sergio Ramos, one of the most decorated defenders. They are trying their utmost to win that Champions League and they can't do it. Well, this is why... They can't Pochettino's do it. left, isn't right? it? A year and, ahead of his contract. And, it all comes down. I think they're looking at the wrong thing. They're and looking at the players. It's the manager. Obviously, Pogba linked with Juventus as well. Juventus, before um, Conte came into Inter Milan and won the Scudetto, I think they had won the nine leagues before that or ten leagues in a row before that. And it was like, I remember watching an interview where Juventus fans were saying, we're a bit bored of winning the Scudetto every year. We'd love to win the Champions League. We've not won the Champions League since, I don't know, when did Juventus? I can't remember. Some, well, they haven't won it for a long time and they're desperate to win the Champions League as well. That's why they signed Cristiano Ronaldo mm. and they didn't win the Champions League. So Pogba, wherever he goes, if it's PSG, if it's Juventus, his expectation will be to turn that team into a Champions League winning side. Is he good enough to do it? Yes. Will he do it? We'll wait and see. Very quickly, let's finish off with a exit for Everton that John Joe Kenny could be leaving the club on a free transfer to go to Hertha Berlin. Oh no! <laughs> well, well, this a bombshell at the end. <laughs> he's um, 25. He's not exactly young, but we have seen it before where players have failed to perform in the Premier League, have gone out to Germany, played in the Bundesliga, and then come back a totally different player. Are we going to see this? With John Joe Kenny, are we going to see a £50 million transfer as he flies back into Liverpool to play for them? 
Have you been to Berlin, boys? I imagine yes. you both. What's yeah. it like? I've never been. I've never been, but I've heard it's lovely. Go on, Joel. You've yeah, been. I mean, it depends where, which avenue you look at. The nightlife's incredible. The football teams are absolutely appalling. Um, <laughs> Sounds like <laughs> but in terms Sounds of, like Liverpool. I mean, yeah, it'd be a great city to live in. Um, but I mean, Hertha Berlin, they've had a bit of a turbulent time in the last few years where they had one of those owners who wanted to pump a ridiculous amount of money into their side and then he pulled the plug. They had the likes of Piatek, who came from Syria, as one of the most de- um, promising young Polish strikers, and he's gone back to Syria. And I think they just flirted with relegation last season. So it's going to be, to put it as the bottom line, no, he's not going to come back in a £50 million transfer. Um, I but think, he'll have a nice time in Berlin. That's what I think. Good on him. He's 25 years old. I mean, he's going from an abject Everton side to here to mm. Berlin. I don't know where they finished in the Bundesliga. I think it was just above the relegation. Yeah, so. I think they've struggled. Yeah. the last couple of seasons but um yeah go and enjoy it go and live in germany um the german capital berlin is a place packed with culture um you know much like liverpool to an extent as well so i mean go and enjoy it. i mean i'm all for this i think this is excellent seeing young british players yeah. going abroad and playing football abroad Doesn't i mean enough. absolutely awesome i and mean you never to know see what's abraham happen, in rome winning the european trophy tamori getting within a whisker winning the the Even Serie Nelson, title. you've got to the final with Feyenoord. Yeah, Sancho taking a gamble at 17, going to Dortmund. Um, I mean, there's so many other examples I'm sure that I'm missing out. I mean, I know there's a fair few Scottish players. Reese Oxford. Oh, yeah, there's a few. There's a few, mind you. Um, Adam Ola Lookman, who obviously we know is a Nigeria international, playing on loan at Leicester at the moment, but they went to Leipzig. So there's, I think there's a great opportunity to go and experience a different life, a different culture, a different language. Take yourself out of your comfort zone. Football is the global game. It's the world game. And I think we're too boxed in in this country in terms of, oh, we need to stay in the English leagues and the English divisions. Go and do what Graham Potter did. Go and manage Ostersunds in Sweden and then come back to the Premier League and be one of the top managers in the league with the most exciting potential in terms of his future. I think that's brilliant and i like to see more of it. So if he is to go to Hertha Berlin, good on him. I think what it is a clear demonstration of is the... What's the word I'm looking for? The excess in that Everton team at the moment, when you look at the players that will be leaving on free transfers or for nominal fees over the transfer window, you've got not only John Joe Kenny, Fabian Delft, Gilfie Sigerson, Senk Tolson yeah. is still an Everton player at the moment. All these players that you kind of forget that even played for the club are still there sucking up wages and sucking up resource, but not contributing anything on the football pitch at all. It feels like there's a real revamp coming, I think, at Goodison Park over the next, well, over the next couple of months, over the transfer window. And we will keep you up to date with all of it on Football Social Daily. But that is it for today's podcast. Thank you very much for listening. If you're needing some podcasts to fill the football void that's there at the moment, because we aren't seven days a week, we're three days a week at the moment, then you can head to the Podcast Network website and find your next favourite sport podcast, whatever team you support, or whatever sport it is you're looking for. Go and have a look. Podcast.sport-social.co.uk is the place to find it, or just Google Sports Social Podcast Network, which is probably easier. And we'll see you next time on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.